Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here are your hosts, Drew Freeman and Jen Bailey. Thanks, Ray. This is the Ray Wenderlich podcast. Welcome to episode six for season nine. This episode was recorded on Monday, the 17th of June, 2019. This episode is sponsored by Triple Byte. That's B-Y-T-E, right? I am co-host Jen Bailey here with our one-of-a-kind podcast host, Drew Freeman. <laughs> Thanks, Jen. So on today's episode, we have Chuki. Chuki is a seasoned Android developer who's very involved in the community. She gives talks around the world, co-hosts a YouTube channel called Android Dialogues, runs the Google Developer Group in Boulder, Colorado, and also puts on the annual conference 360 and Dev in Denver. 360 and Dev is going to be in July on the 18th and 19th this year, and you can use the coupon code Wenderlich to get 15% off at 360 and Dev. Uh, in this episode, we're going to discuss Android testing. Chuki, welcome. Thank you. It is great to have you on this show. Thanks for having me. So, as people know, I'm sort of the iOS person, so I'm going to be sort of sitting back and trying my best on this one, and it's all about testing on Android. So, where do we start? So, Android testing is not very straightforward. Um, why is Android testing so difficult? Why is it not straightforward? Part of it is just the fact that you're running a test on a device with a UI, right? So whatever you do, if you are just thinking of it as like, okay, I write my app and then I will test it, you will be driving through the UI and UI is inherently flaky, I would say, right? Because there are a lot of timing issues. Like if you click on a, a drop down, it may take a little bit of time to show up. So when you're trying to test that, and that's a system level widget, it's not like you wrote that widget. So you click on it and you want to make a selection. Sometimes it passed, sometimes it failed, but not because your logic is wrong. It's because, oh, the test was too fast, right? The dropdown wasn't even displayed yet and you are already clicking on it. Um, So a lot of it is because you are directly testing the UI and that makes things not reliable, right? You don't want your test to fail when nothing is wrong. So with some of these UI elements being from the system, is there any kind of system wait saying, wait for this UI element to actually do its thing? So well, we're jumping right into uh, one way of doing Android testing, which is Espresso Library. It does have a notion of waiting for the UI to finish rendering before uh, kind of queuing the event you want to do, like clicking or typing. Uh, however, there are certain things that are kind of internal to the widget almost, right? When you have the drop down, it's like the drop down is rendered because the initial skinny version of it is rendered. But when you interact with it, it doesn't necessarily know that I need to now wait for the expanded version to render. Um, so yes and no. So when you initially load the screen, like it does have a notion that, oh, the UI thread is busy. So when the UI thread is busy, then it's going to wait until it's idle. But some some other elements doesn't trigger that idle detection. Then your test is flaky. And on top of that, there are other things that is not just the UI, right? Like if you are issuing a, a network call and it takes a little bit of time for it to come back before your, your UI will change. And if you didn't wait long enough, then it will test that, oh, okay, I'm expecting this word on the screen, but it's not there. And then therefore the test failed, but it's because it's taking, you know, 200 milliseconds if you have a super fast network for it to complete. Um, so there's a lot of timing issue that make it difficult. 
What about the testing pyramid? What does that describe in Android? Why do we have to have small, medium, and large tests? Ah, yes, the testing pyramid. That's usually the first thing you find when you want to learn about testing. And so the, the testing pyramid basically, actually, I have a cheat sheet. Um, the testing pyramid is basically saying that you should have a pyramid with a very wide base that has a lot of unit tests, meaning that you're testing just one component. And then one level up on the pyramid is integration, where you integrating more than one element and then finally you have end-to-end tests that's sitting on top which you run the whole system through so that's how usually people think of so like how do you figure out what to test uh, meaning that you if once you know that the individual units are working then you can start putting things together that is great as a theory and it works really well in other platforms but on android it's complicated because it's very difficult to have a true unit test because everything you do probably involves the Android framework and the Android framework is really big. So even if you're doing something as simple as, oh, okay, I'm going to have an intent and I want to make sure that I'm extracting the correct field of the intent. Well, the intent is an Android class. So to be able to use an intent, you need to somehow know that the intent class exists and you cannot just do that without having a device um, and and that gets complicated because then you have to deploy your test to the device wait for it to come uh, online and launch the app and run your test um, so the testing pyramid for the longest time i've been trying to figure out okay how do i test how do i write unit tests on android and i actually find that it's useful in the sense that it guides you the basic principle, but I, I find it really difficult to map directly into things that I do in Android. So what percent would you say that you actually can unit test? Because on the triangle, uh, on the pyramid, it, it looks like it's mm-hmm. maybe 50% and 30% and then 20%. Yeah, that's just roughly. But you're saying that the unit test doesn't really fulfill that easily. So right. do you find you do a lot less? The very difficult part and kind of the major breakthrough of thinking about Android tests thing is actually you're not having an app and then you try to write all these unit tests and then write a little bit of test on top is you have to structure your app in such a way that you have units that you can test so to answer the question I okay so what is the proportion that I is possible to do well it depends on how you structure the app and and that is the key takeaway like if you are struggling with testing it's not necessarily because oh I just don't know how to do testing it goes a little bit back to the app itself because a lot of the time we think of testing as like a sprinkling on the cake right you bake the cake and then you put the the icing and the sprinkles on top Uh, but testing in Android is more like you need to structure your cake so that you can think about the individual components so and that goes to a concept that I think I don't know if that's an equivalent in iOS but in Android Android is built on top of uh, well it used to be Java and now mostly written in Kotlin, but both of these are compiled down to JVM code. And when you just stay with that, like the part that is pure Java or pure Kotlin without any dependency on the Android framework, then you can run your tests without the Android framework, meaning you can run it on your host computer, the laptop or the desktop that you're writing your code to, and you don't have to deploy your code to your device or your um, emulator and that is one 
big way that you can make testing easier on Android, which is you think about, okay, is there a way that I can write part of my code that doesn't involve the Android framework at all? And then I can have a lot of small unit that I can iterate on very quickly because you don't have that time of having that APK deploy to your device, wait for that to install, for the Android system to acknowledge that, okay, I got it, and then launch the app. Uh, so that's a very, very long answer, but that kind of illustrates <laughs> why testing is difficult, right? Because when you don't have the, the framework in your mind of how everything fit together, and you're thinking, oh, there's this testing pyramid, so how much of unit testing should I do? Uh, well, actually, that's not going to get you very far because once you get into your Android app and you're like, what is a unit? <laughs> you, you kind of have existential questions like, what is a unit? I don't know where to cut my thing so that I can have unit tests. Oh, is that what they mean when they use the term um, test-driven development is like writing, um, thinking of the test first and then writing the app to satisfy those tests? rather than writing the app and then coming up with tests for it? Yes and no. Um, so test-driven development mainly means that, yes, you instead of writing your app, you write a test or, uh, with the criteria that you want it to pass, and it will not pass in the beginning because you haven't written your app yet. It's literally oh. not there, right? So you start to write an app and you launch the app. Um, so that is kind of orthogonal to whether you're doing uh, unit testing or integration testing or bigger chunks of tests. And But I said yes and no, so that's a no part. And the yes part is that to be able to do uh, TDD, like test-driven development on Android, you will, it will serve you very well if you structure your app such that you have these pure Java classes that you don't depend on the Android platform because that's how you can very quickly actually do like close the TDD loop, right? If you are able to make a change in your test and make a change in your app and run and within a second, know that it pass or fail, then you can actually iterate, right? If every single deployment takes upwards of like half a, half a minute, then you get distracted and then you go watch cat videos and you forgot that you are trying to test. <laughs> um, so testing, if, like you, you, you can, I mean, you can absolutely do the test-driven development with UI level testing, but on top of, actually on top of being like the, the need to deploy your app, you also need to wait for the actual UI to be exercised, right? So if you write a test that says, okay, say I have a, a calculator or a, a, a pin lock, right? That I need to press button one, two, three, four. You actually have to wait for the emulator or your, uh, your device for, for your test to send those commands over and for the command to be received by your app and react. So that's just too long to be feasible. For, uh, for some of the, the newer Android listeners, we've talked about unit tests, we've talked about UI testing and TDD. We also mentioned integration tests. Can you help uh, for, for newer listeners differentiate the difference between a unit test and an integration test? I've been doing Android for so many years, I still don't know what is an, an integration test on Android, which is why I thought the testing pyramid was just really not appropriate for Android. Instead, so I touched a little bit on how you can think of it as two different kinds. Like one is the pure Java code, which you can test on your host computer. So that's what I call the JVM test. 
and then the on-device test. So that's got one dimension. And then another dimension will be whether you are exercising the UI or you are just testing the non-UI logic of your app. So that's much more helpful. And as you, okay, I, I need to my cheat sheet again because I have a whole quadrant that um, I guess we can post a show note on how to divide up the grid. So a JVM test is very fast to run, right? So a JVM test that is exercising the non-UI part of your app will be sort of equivalent to the bottom part of your pyramid. You want a lot of these, mostly because they are so fast to run that you can put it on your CI or on your continuous integration to verify the logic of your app without necessarily waiting for like an hour to spin up 10 emulators to run all your different UI tests. But then you also want to make sure that the part, because you, 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 uh, you cannot run an app without Android code because it has an Android app. So you do want to exercise the part of your app that does use Android code, but with a good foundation with JVM test, you can have uh, not as many of those slow tests and for those those part will be more like almost sanity checks to make sure that this app launches and people laugh right when you go through a tutorial that like they will show you like okay we have a test that launches an activity and you're like okay great i mean it's a tutorial this is fake but it's actually has caught bugs for me before. So what I had was I actually had an activity that has an embedded Google Maps in it, which I upgraded the dependency. And I was doing something, I forgot what I was doing, but that crashed the app with the new version. So the fact that you can launch activity is worth testing, even though it sounds stupid. Of course, I can launch the activity. What do you mean that you should test that? Uh, however, like that's that's the level of sanity check that I am referring to. But like at, after that that level, that the intricate logic of like oh, but like if I come to this activity and it's not logged in, then I should show the login message so that there's a button that's visible so that people can click and log in. If you can move all that logic, like the determination of what button is visible. Right, because that's just a boolean, right? Like, is login button visible or not? Rather than launching the activity and checking whether the widget itself is visible, like if you can do that separation, then you don't need to test the actual on-device part too much. So you can have good confidence that your app is working, but still have that sanity check level of okay. I know that the logic works, but let's make sure that the basics are covered. The basics of um, how I the app is deployed and run, and uh, make sure things don't crash on launch, which happens. People didn't realize that. And of course, you threw in one evil little other test, which is with a new version of a component things break, so you wind up with regression testing as well. Right. Because once you have your test suite written and you know things are working, you always have to back up and say, okay, we've made some changes, and whether it be a change to our code or whether it be a change to the new version of Google Maps or a new version of Google this, Google that, something could wind up breaking backwards. Right. Yeah, and and that is why it is very good to have a lot of unit tests if you think of the testing pyramid, and in our case of pure logic, pure Java tests, because those tests, you will not like take them out essentially. Because if you have un- uh, a lot of UI tests, and like I said, they tend to be flaky, and 
it's failing your continuous build, right? And you are like, I don't know why it's failing. It should work. And, and you run it 10 times and it passes eight times to fail two times. And it's just not providing you value. Then it will be sensible to take that test out of the test suite because look, it is not actually indicating that I should be addressing some problem, right? Versus if you have very reliable pure Java test that runs very fast and you know when something fails, then you have a regression, then you have confidence that the test is actually useful rather than like, yeah, you know, the test, like sometimes it fails when it shouldn't fail. So I don't really think it's bother, I should bother running it because it takes time. I found that some of my tests, when they become intermittently failing, the problem is that that test is encompassing too much in that I've actually tried to test too large of a unit or maybe multiple units. And as a result, sometimes it works, sometimes it fails. But the truth is that maybe I've got multiple units. And if I break them down into smaller chunks, I find that, no, something is, is failing all the time, but it's not being called all the time. And that's how it... Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's one very big pillar of testing is you want to modularize, right? You want to have small points when you can verify the functionality so that when something breaks, you know that, oh, it's because component A breaks. It's not like this big soup of things and it's broken and you have to go individually fish out the potato and <laughs> you know and the carrot and all the different components and you because you don't know right but you have to, if you have your very small unit then when something fails then you can pinpoint aha let me check why this is failing and then you can work much faster in locating the problem so but but like going back to what i said earlier that requires you to write your app in such a way that you have small units, right? Like if you wait until after you've written everything, it's like, oh, now I'll have some tests. Let me find what the units are. They're not going to be there because it takes discipline. It takes a lot of discipline to have those modules. So when you are writing your app with testing in mind and actually writing tests along the way, which like Jen said, like a lot of people do that via TDD, then that has that reinforcement loop, right? Okay, let me write some tests. What is this unit? And, and then you will, you will, it will help you structure your app so that you have actually different components that call each other. And then you can separate out and say, okay, I'm going to test just this component. And maybe you'll mock its dependency with another component so that you know that if something is broken, it's this component, not because of the incoming component that is faulty. Coming up in the second half, I have some questions for Shuki regarding an app that I'm trying to write and how I could test that, and also some general questions about testing and terminology. But first, a message from our sponsor, TripleByte. The RayWenderlick.com podcast will be right back. But first, a message from our sponsor. This RayWenderlick.com podcast is brought to you by TripleByte. Applying to programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume. You spend hours and hours on phone screens, take home projects, and that's assuming the company even responds to your interest or your cover letters. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. 
You do one brief online interview with them, and if you do well, you get to go straight to the final interviews with the companies on their platform. It's like the common app for software engineers. TripleByte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. And I can appreciate that. Being in the industry for 35 years, I'm entirely self-taught. My undergraduate study was in theater, and I left school to do my first job. So I don't carry a bachelor's, no bachelor's of arts, no bachelor's of science. And that's the one thing I'm often trying to hide or misdirect on my resume. With TripleByte, they'd care more about the coding experience that I have and not worry about that one little fact. Apply now at triplebyte.com slash ray. That's triplebyte.com, byte, B-Y-T-E, as in 8 bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through TripleByte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus. And thanks again to TripleByte, that's Byte, B-Y-T-E, for sponsoring this and every episode this season of the Ray Wendelick Podcast. Back in with section two of the show, Jen has a whole bunch of testing questions now that's helped her find her way through an application she's been working on. Jen? I'm fairly new to testing in Android, so how can someone who's never formerly tested their app before get started with testing without becoming overwhelmed because there's so many different types of tests and so much to do? Yeah. Where would a good starting point be for someone who's interested in breaking into testing? Yeah, I would recommend not trying to test the app that you have on hand as the first thing, because like I said earlier, a lot of this is about structuring your app in such a way that is testable. So if you don't have a good mental model of how Android testing works, you don't really have a way to look at your app and say, aha, okay, I think this is the smallest unit that makes sense to test, or I should refactor my app so that I have a testable unit. Because a lot of the times what you will end up doing if you just write your test for your own app is you will start with the UI and then you will realize that all oh, things are flaky and like it's not perfect, uh, passing and then you will lose hope. <laughs> I don't want people to lose hope. Uh, so what I would recommend is actually finding a tutorial that is something that has an app that comes with it so that you try to write the app and the tests in a simpler environment so that you kind of get the basic first, like basic concepts of, well, even like how do you even run an app that has a test in it, right? If you're running in Android Studio, you need to press that little green triangle on the gutter of your IDE. Like things like that, right? The very, very basic, I would recommend not doing it with the app you want to test right away. I know it sounds like extra work, but trust me, I've been burned many times. And it's not just for testing. A lot of the times, every time I try something new and I'm like, all right, I'm just throwing it into my main app and then it's just a tangle mess and I don't know what I'm doing. So I would highly recommend doing it in a tutorial environment in an app that is completely separate from your own app. And then once you get used to like, aha, okay, so this is what it means when I'm testing. And then you, you have that knowledge to then use that lens to look through your app and see, okay, now how do I apply that to my app? Great. Um, so is, the, is testing different when you're dealing with a database? Is there a way to specifically unit test your database? Yeah, great question. So like I said, a lot of the times is defining your modules before you can do all the unit testing. So let's say that you have something that depends on the database. So much like the 
pin lock example I talked about earlier, where you have the lock that depends on the clock and then the activity depending on the lock. You will have a unit that the activity depend on, which like, you know, I don't know what your app is. So, so let's say it's a... Um, oh, great. I could describe my app for you that if you like. <laughs> so yeah, let me know what, how are you using your database so that I don't have to talk in the abstract and come up with examples. Okay. Yeah. So if it's like a to-do list app and I do have an interface for um, like adding a to-do item or deleting a to-do, like the insert, um, that is extrapolated behind a interface. Um, and so hopefully it is using the MVC pattern. Yeah, so let's say that then now you have your activity that depends on this logical unit that have functions like add note, delete note, um, list note, yeah. right? Let's say we have these three functions, right? Correct, that's exactly what I have. I will just call this thing notes. I mean, all notes, like I don't, I don't, like naming things is really hard. Um, so I don't want to use the word repository because that has like specific meanings. So let's just call it notes store. How about that? So it's a notes store. Okay. Um, so this notes store will then depend on um, the database, right? So your, your database class will, I mean, it, there are multiple ways you can, you can do this. Um, Assuming that you are using a SQLite database. I am, yes. Okay, good. So then when you do that, usually you have to have like create the database helper and, and then you can talk to the database, right? So the way I would do it is then you will have your Nook store in the constructor text in this database helper. And one very important thing is that in your database helper, you will define a constructor that can allow you to change the path of your database. Oh, okay. Because then what happens, yeah, so then what happens is that when you are writing your real app, you are talking to a database helper that talks to always that same file, right? So that next time when you, you've written a, a, a to-do, why do I call it notes anyway? Now it's notes. Um, when you've written an item and then you, you, you shut down your phone, you come back, it's reading from the same store so that you receive the same item. But during test, what you're going to do is you're going to define a database helper, but you give it a path that is not permanent. So in Android, there are ways that you can uh, ask for this system to give you a temporary directory that's specific to your app. So you're not overwriting other people's stuff. Right? So you, get, you, you ask for the temporary directory and then maybe you will create a file name under the directory that is depending, dependent on the date and time um, and, and a random suffix. Just make sure this is unique, right? So that you know that the database will start off empty because you're creating a new file, right? So you create a database helper, but give it this new temporary path when you are testing. Then during the test, you can call your notes class with functions like adding, listing, removing, without worrying that then you're polluting your actual app, right? And then, you know, to be a good citizen, like when you shut down the test in the delete, uh, in the shutdown, you, uh, in the teardown, you can say that I will then delete the database. But you don't want to do that in real life, right? If you're doing it in production, then like, all the stuff that you store will be gone. Um, so. 
that is how I would deal with having a database and wanting to test it is having making sure that again it is dependency injection right and if you think about it the database helper depends on the path that this database is stored at so in production you are always having the exact same path versus in test you're generating a new temporary path every time so that dependency is what makes your testing environment different from your production environment i've heard a term this might be unrelated but um i've heard a term uh, hermetic environment mm -hmm. re related to testing what does that term mean yeah so i mean that's actually what we've been talking about so hermetic if you think of a hermit right he hides in a cave he doesn't <laughs> talk to anyone he just do his thing in the cave. Um, so that's what hermetic environment mean. Like your, your the, the unit that you are testing should just hide out in the cave and do its own thing without any influence from the outside. Now, it takes a little bit of work to be a hermit. So it, in the case of a test, you can't really have all the units be self-contained, right? They will have dependencies, right? Like your app, when you have your Nook store, you are depending on the database. So, but then how do you make it hermetic? You can still make it hermetic by the technique that I've been telling you about, which is in the test environment, you control those influences. So in the sense of the database, instead of having the production database, which I don't know how many times this got written and deleted and how many entries it has, but if you want to create a hermetic environment, then you always start afresh, right? You always have this new file that you are using as the dependency. So that's how you create that hermetic environment. It doesn't mean that you are completely sealed off from the external world, but it means that when you have that external dependency, you're actually providing a consistent version of it. So that's how it's hermetic. It's hermetic in the sense that the dependency is contained within the test environment and not you're not reaching out to somewhere else. It's all inside the test. So in the case of what I talked about earlier of a clock, instead of it actually knowing what day and age you live in, you are in that hermetic environment where I just tell you today is 1999. Like, this is the year we live in now. And then you write your tests assuming that. And you, so you know that if you have a two, Y2K <laughs> tester and then it goes to the next year, you can test that, right? Otherwise, Y2K has come and gone. And I'm not going to be able to verify that my Y2K app still works, which I don't know why anyone would do that. But if that's the case, if you have a hermetic environment, then you are able to control which year we are in versus if you don't have that hermetically sealed environment, then you are depending on the current year. That makes sense. Now, um, when you're testing an app that would have a database, um, would it be better to test that sort of an app on a device or the emulator? Or is there a difference? There isn't really a difference. The reason why I would choose with emulator versus device is that a device, I have to plug it in. <laughs> So if I, I, mean, I know it's a very simple consideration. So if your, your computer is powerful enough to run an emulator and run your ID at the same time, then these days the emulator is actually pretty good. I mean, when Android first started, it takes forever to start an emulator. So you're just sitting there waiting. But right like now, the emulator boots actually very fast. Um, so 
I would use an emulator unless I really want to verify that it works on a specific device. Um, the other advantage of using an emulator is that you can have different versions of Android. Right. I mean, I don't know how rich you are, but I really have just one phone and maybe I'll buy an extra one as my test device if uh, I am. I'm a, I'm a freelance developer, so I don't have a giant budget. Maybe you work in a big company and you can have a whole wall of devices. But if you are not in that situation, you can use the emulator, right? I can test and make sure that it works in the latest version of Android. I can make sure that it works on the version that my app supports back to like the oldest one. I can set the environment so that it is a very memory constrained device. So I can test the behavior if it runs out of memory, right? That kind of thing where you don't necessarily want to have your actual phone, like make it run out of memory. But if you are, uh, if you are defining your own emulator, you can set up so that the emulator itself doesn't actually use a lot of memory. So you will be able to run into situations that you would like to test. Um, so the emulator gives you that flexibility. So one thing about testing is I have worked in situations in the past where we were not required to do formal testing. And we, a lot of times, would test our applications by just pushing all the buttons, putting in test data. At what point does an app get to a large enough that testing becomes necessary um like uh, when is it uh most often required or when is an app large enough that it's advantageous to use testing instead of the old-fashioned i'm just going to try everything i can think of and see if it crashes and then deploy it and yeah. take customer complaints <laughs> you, you, you mean you haven't written a hundred lines of test code for hello world <laughs> Not often. So I was in a, um, a different sort of company where we wrote a lot of code on the fly and we wrote patches with people right on the phone. <laughs> and um, testing was something that we just kind of did uh, on the fly. And we just would, and we released a lot of bad code that, you know, we basically, our testing was to deploy it. <laughs> well, I, I, but, I have a, an answer that surprised no one since you're talking to me and I love testing. Um, <laughs> basically, my rule of thumb is if you plan to throw away your code, then don't test. If your, te <laughs> if your app has any longevity, you should test. So what I mean by throw away code, if I'm going to a hackathon, right, I just need this app to hang on for dear life for 24 hours <laughs> and, and work through the demo. Don't write tests because I, I, no one's ever going to touch this app after the hackathon, right? And I mean, that's an extreme example, but there may be a situation where you are, for example, like what I was telling you earlier, right? Like when you asked me, how do you get started on testing? I said, don't write it on your actual app, you know, write it on something different. And I use that principle for something. For example, if I want to learn how to use the uh, room library to store my uh, to do rather than using the SQLite database straight, right? I will probably not muck with my actual app right away, but instead I'll write a simpler app that literally all it does is I will create this room database with maybe three columns and I will try to write to it and I'll try to read it back and then I'll try to delete it so that I exercise all the functionality so I know how it works. Um, 
and then I go back to my main app, right? So in that case, that is a throwaway app, which arguably you should still test because then what you can do, once you figure out how to use the database, then you can figure out how to test the database and then you can go back to your app and do the testing. But fundamentally, the way I think about testing, it's not necessary that you are using testing to verify that your app um, is, you know, when you click this exact sequence, it's giving you the, the exact output. What I use testing is kind of documentation, to be honest, right? If you're in a team where, you know, it's not just you. I mean, even in a team that's just me, that's me and me from six months ago, which I don't know who that person is because <laughs> when, I, when I read the code that I wrote six months ago, I'm like, what is this supposed to do again, right? But when I have a test, then I can read out the test and say, oh, okay, so this is why I have this if statement in my code is because if somebody press this button too fast or whatever, like if I, uh, for some reason, get into this situation where I'm deleting uh, a note that doesn't exist anymore, it blows up, right? So that's why I have this if statement that says, you know, if the, the size of the database is zero, then um, throw an error, like a friendly message. I find you have to stay on good terms with the me of six months ago because... <laughs> As long as you're on good terms with them, you have somebody who can translate the me of 12 months ago. Right. Cause right. They, yeah. I know. Like people, they, were on, they were on drugs. People, people don't realize how much of an enemy we become <laughs> ourselves once we age beyond a certain point. Just like looking at my own code, I'm like, I, why, why, why did I do it like this? Like, but it's a good sign. Yeah. It means that you're improving. The important phrase there is... It seemed like a good idea at the time. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I'm really looking forward to the conference coming up in July. Um, could you tell us any sneak previews about what to expect this year? Yeah. So uh, if people are not familiar with the 360 NDEF conference, I should be just like, explain a little bit. It's a Android conference that's happening in Denver in July. So this year is July 18th and 19th. Uh, last year, we tried something different, which is single track. Uh, which was a great success. I initially was a bit worried because single chat means that everybody is going to sit in the same talk, uh, whether you are buying the ticket to go to this particular session or not, right? So when you have a two track, at least you can choose between one or two. But the nice thing is that everybody has the same experience. So during lunch hour, you can talk about, say, oh, what do you think of that talk? And you know that the other person went to that talk. Well, unless, you know, he has an emergency call he needs to take. But the, this year, we have a lot of really interesting topics, and it's already on the website. So instead of me trying to come up with it... We'll have the link to the con in the, in the show notes. Yeah. Um, so we have not just Android Talks. We actually have, for example, a Flutter Talk. So if you're curious about, oh, yeah, all my users are like... I. I love your Android app, but then my girlfriend who uses iOS cannot use it. What do I do? And then you hear about Flutter, which is a cross-platform development tool. Hmm. Oh, nice. Yes, I can't wait. It's one of my favorite events. I've gotten to go every year since it started. Tonight, we've been talking with Chuki about Android testing, and I've certainly learned a lot about everything, and I'm really looking forward to her conference uh, 360 and Dev coming up in July. 
It's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Now we've got another show coming up in two weeks. Great. That wraps, it wraps things up for this episode. We'd like to thank Triple Byte, our sponsors uh, tonight. That's Triple Byte, B-Y-T-E. And back to you, Ray. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the RayWendell.com podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes. See you next time.